Hi, thanks for downloading the Tabletop Gaming Podcast. This is the third and final show recorded on location at this year's UK Games Expo. On Sunday, I was joined by writer and reviewer Alex Zinichkina and game designer Holly Gramazio, who picked out their favourite games from the show and discussed what it's like to exhibit at a convention. Although UK Games Expo is finished for the year, you can still find the latest issue of Tabletop Gaming in shops, including the 150 greatest games of all time, as voted for by you. We'll be back soon, ahead of this year's Tabletop Gaming Live convention in London's Alexandra Palace on September 29th and 30th. Tickets are on sale now. Head to tabletopgaming.co.uk for the latest news. For now, here's the show. Hi, hey, hello. Uh, welcome to the Tabletop Gaming Podcast. This is day three of our UK Games Expo series. Uh, just sort of rounding up what we've seen uh, at the show. I am Matt Jarvis. I'm the editor of Tabletop Gaming Magazine. I'm joined happily today by Alex uh, Sinichkina. Hello, Alex. How are you doing? Hi, I'm very good. Tired, but excited at the same time. Last day, last stretch. Fantastic. You'll know Alex from the magazine for fantastic reviews um, and some features in the latest issue. Uh, you've reviewed a number of things. I think Pioneer Days is in there. Yes. Um, and on all sorts. So pick up the latest magazine for that. And we're also joined by the wonderful Holly Gramazio. Hello, Holly. Hello. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Holding up okay? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Also, it finishes at 4pm today. So, yes. you know. Those extra so couple of hours day. just to kind day. of fall asleep yeah. under your booth table. And yeah, nap on the train. Huge piles of cards clutched in my arms, I can only assume. <laughs> to give some context to that, Holly Gramazio is the writer of Kickstarting from Scratch, which is our column in the magazine about following your game Art Deck, essentially from not long after sort of concept and creation through to, through to Kickstarter and, and crowdfunding, which is it's now up, isn't it? It's, uh, it's up on Kickstarter. How's it been doing? Yeah, it's about five days into our sort of 30-day Kickstarter stretch. It went up a few days. So it went up and then we essentially rushed straight off to the Games Expo. As you do, really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's been going really well, actually. We got we reached our funding target in the first few oh, days. Congratulations. Wow. Amazing. Thank you. So it's been a, a surprisingly uh, relaxed expo. We've not been having to stand frantically and wave at people and going, play our game, please back us, please, please. We're 70% <laughs> of the way. We've been able to sort of sit back and go, play it if you want, back us if you want. Uh. <laughs> we don't even need your money at this point. <laughs> um, and to, I mean, your stand makes quite an impression because of Art Deck is, as it sounds from the name, a drawing game. It's a collaborative drawing game. It's kind of, it's more, uh, I guess it could be described like a social experiment in some ways, right? It's you know I very driven so. around getting people to do kind of all sorts of weird things with, with crayons and pens. And Yeah, so it's a collaborative drawing game where you put down these cards which gradually build up instructions. So they might tell you to draw circles really big behind your back say and then you do that and then someone else puts down a card changes the instruction and then then they do that so over the course of the three days we've had people generating these sometimes really phenomenal pictures sometimes quite creepy there's a card which says <laughs> draw another player and oh, uh, my Ooh. colleague Nick has been drawn several times <laughs> um, once by a small child who just made him this vast demonic face with, with huge teeth and there's another one which is draw eyes and so we have a couple of pages that are just covered in in seething glaring eyes oh wow God, there seems like there's potential for sort of like Freudian weirdness and all sorts of uh, take this game to your therapist and see maybe get yourself checked out if you're drawing eyes and yeah I mean if, if it tells you to do it it's not your fault right well yeah but how's your experience been as an exhibitor though it's the first time at UK Games yeah, yeah. Great. First, but not first time at conventions oh absolutely not for a while. no no and we'll, we've been 
been running Art Deck specifically at various things for 18 months or so now, I think. And, you know, my general day-to-day job is running game events, like have, making games for museums and art festivals and things like that. So we've done a lot of um, making games for particular things and getting people to play. But it is a quite different experience here, partly just because the audience is so up for things, I guess. So, like, looking around, trying to find a thing that will catch their eye and and justify their next 10 minutes worth of, of engagement. Have you managed to escape from the stand at all? Have you managed to look around the, the halls? Did anything catch your eye in terms of, you know, something you're, you're into? Or? Yeah, I've had a, a scoot around pretty quickly. I was quite excited to find a historical game stall, which is not necessarily games about history but games from 1400 from like 200 BCE various like there's all of these games that we know about from the past right everyone knows fox and geese everyone knows nefertafel but there's also all of these things that I'd never heard of and I think of myself as someone who's in some ways unnecessarily obsessed with the history <laughs> of, of games and gaming a game I've got a game called I got hold of a game called Sega spelt S-E-E-G-A which is a medieval game from Egypt, which I had literally never heard of before. Does the title mean anything in particular? I have yet to play the game, so I guess I'll find out. I assume it's a medieval Egyptian word... I, I, I honestly don't you, know. You would know better than me. <laughs> How about you, Alex? What's been sort of catching your eye around the, the halls? Yes, so I think the last game that I was actually looking forward to playing and that I it was kind of quite happy how the playthrough turned out was uh, Picoco. So I'm actually a big fan of trick-taking game. I guess it comes from me being Russian and Russians play a lot of trick-taking <laughs> games and card games in general, you know, with all sorts of things and drinking and gambling and all that sort of stuff. So a trick-taking game is something that, I, you know, I've been playing for forever. So I'm always looking for kind of interesting and new twists on trick-taking, which Picoco is absolutely is. So it's a little bit of a mixture of Hanabi in the sense that you don't see your hand, but you see the hands of other players. There's sort of arranged in the fan like a peacock feather tail uh, around the table and you see only the back of yours and you see everyone else's and you begin the game by bidding on how many tricks you think other players will take and that's essentially what it is you don't really care exactly that you take the most tricks you just care that if you say that this player is taking for tricks that's what they're going to do so if you have a way uh, through the game to prevent them from taking a particular trick you might play that card because say they've you bet that they were going to take two and they're already taken two and you don't want them to take one extra so you can kind of mess them up by playing a card from your player on the left that allows them to steal that trick instead and it's very very simple but at the same time i think works incredibly well especially since i'm so used to uh just looking at my cards when i and thinking of you know of my own cards in the sense of trick taking and this is very different and especially since there's not not all cards are in play so it's not like you can guess what cards you have or count them out so there's a little bit of push your luck in there as well and it is and you know besides that it's absolutely gorgeous so that you know Please as well. <laughs> Do you find yourself playing sort of shorter games at like conventions like these, like trying to cram in as many as possible, or, or 
you know, do you go for some longer stuff and sit down for an hour or two? I, I try to go for a mixture, really, because sometimes it's really nice to, you know, you've been walking for the whole day and you're like, oh, I could really sit just, for an hour. I don't really an hour care what this is. I just need yeah. to sit down. Show me your game. <laughs> she said, but at the same time, you kind of don't want to spend two hours in something that you potentially might not like and miss on all the other great things. And sometimes it's not even being picky, uh, especially on the busiest days like a Saturday when you come and you're like, okay, well, it's absolutely crammed. Everyone's playing what you can. You just want to go in and play at least a couple of games per day. So you're not just walking around aimlessly all the time. So I think it's it's a bit of a mixture. You choose, you, you try to do the best you can, really. Yeah. I saw someone trying to demo Twilight Imperium of all things. <laughs> it's like, at that point, you just write off the rest of your day, surely. And it's like, well. I mean, surely they'll just play like they would shorten the game or play scenario, play a variant, because, yeah, it would be a ridiculous amount of time. Holly, other than medieval games, is there anything modern that, that sort of interested you, or do you largely, you know, indulge in kind of games <laughs> of the past? No, I had a, a like I say, I've mostly been on the stool, so I haven't had a chance to actually get into playing anything much. I'm really glad to hear that Picoco is good because it looks so lovely. This idea of turning the fan of cards into a peacock's tail is just such a, a gorgeous conceit. The the fact that there's follow through there on the gameplay is is really great to hear. So also noticed a few uh, quite a bucolic gentle gardeny games around mm. which has been really interesting to see so just catching things out of the corner of my eye stuff like Mr Cabbage Head's Garden oh, which yes, I think yeah. is also on Kickstarter at the moment yeah I think it was a print and play so. for a number of years yeah, but they're now yeah, bringing it out this is sort of with these really lovely, I assume, vintage illustrations. Yeah, a little from, bit. A little bit creepy. Yeah. I'm kind of out by <laughs> yeah, the, like, living vegetable vibe. medium creepy, yeah. but also really lovely. And photosynthesis with its gorgeous fit-together yeah. trees yes. oh. and things like that. So, yeah, that's been really interesting. It isn't something I really remember seeing so much of in, in board games mm. before. I think um, uh, Mr. Mr. Cabbagehead's yeah. gone, right? I, I think bit, so. Words crammed together. It's yeah. a mouthful. Yeah, I think it's Todd. Sanders, but I think it was solo as well originally, and they've oh. expanded it with a huh. two-player variant. Mm, right. um, but I haven't actually had a chance to play it myself yeah. yet. But I wonder how whether it will kind of feel just like two solitaire games, and then you add up points at the end, or whether it actually is sort of more interactive. Um, but it seems like there's quite a lot of those kinds of interesting card games out there. I've seen a lot of card games in general. Mm. I mean, have you both played Fox in the Forest? When you were chatting about Pococo, it was reminding mm. me of Fox in the Forest. I haven't. Uh, it's kind of a twist on Whist, mm-hmm. um, but you, uh, the trick of it is um, it, they're limited suits of cards, um, and each has abilities. Um, but the most interesting thing is the scoring, where if you score win too many games um, you can actually end up losing points it's been a little while since I played it Mm -hmm. Um, but essentially you want to win enough games to be ahead without just dominating your opponent because then they could flip it and end Mm -hmm. up coming out on top Uh Um, but it's interesting it'd be interesting to know whether like Pococo has a root in kind of these classic playing card games or or not yeah I mean mean, so far it just looks like a very simple trick I know they have trick taking game I know they have a bit of alterations where you can also play additional cards if you're like really sure in how much someone's going to play tricks. But I think essentially, you know, it's something very simple, very kind of streamlined. I think it will be very accessible to people who don't even play war games because I think trick-taking is something that everyone can kind of understand. Mm. You know, bigger number takes a 
takes the cards. It's very simple. But yeah. But I think one of the greatest things about UK Games Expo is that, you know, even even us we kind of get a lot of games, you know, we review game, games, we are exposed to a lot of different games, but still going around and here is a great opportunity to find something really quirky and really weird and some unique theme that you'd never ever actually think would gel together. And this is part of the excitement for me. I'm not even sometimes even want to go and see the biggest games we're just walking around and seeing something something very unusual yeah yeah we're kind of positioned between these really fascinating things they're across the across the corridor from a sort of a hybrid digital physical thing where mm-hmm. you put the board game pieces on the tablet oh this is Beast of Balance around. is it Beast of no, Balance Beast oh, no Balance is also near us. So this is a different thing there seem to be a few things around oh, that wow. are this sort of physical digital hybrid thing so I think it's a French company who are experimenting with the idea of this tablet that's specifically made for playing board oh, so games. So you actually on. put them on the, yeah, the tablet. Yeah, oh, the, sorry. Yeah, yeah wow. which seems super neat. Um, up the corridor, there's like the indie RPG table with all of Grant Howard's two-page uh, tabletop RPGs and all of these other really experimental things. And then next to us, there's a building game based on the UN Sustainable Development <laughs> Principles, which also looks super, super lovely. And then just down the corridor, there's a massive Yu-Gi-Oh stand. There's this really interesting combination of things that are in production and things that are in playtesting and huge juggernauts and tiny experiments. Mm. Speaking of digital stuff have you seen the from the Beast of Balance folks mm-hmm. um, When in Rome which is a game oh, you play with yes. Alexa or the Amazon oh, Alexa yeah, smart yeah. speaker um, I think it's got some writing by Lee Alexander actually which oh, is huh. just kind of drawing me in because mm-hmm. when they first described it it's kind of essentially um, where in the world is Carmen San Diego you fly around mm-hmm. between cities and then get some trivia and try and answer the trivia. But the interesting thing is, although that sounds quite light, they've been to these cities and got real residents to record the trivia. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the questions are not necessarily just the usual you know, kind of thing, and they're delivered in this quite genuine way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't I don't think they've got Alexa Putin, because I imagine it would be a nightmare uh, in a room full of people saying yeah. a billion things, yeah. um, going past shouting at it. Um, but I'm quite excited to see whether it can kind of elevate the what seems like a very simple premise of fly around answer questions to kind of be a little bit more interesting and, and unique. Yeah, yeah I mean, most of the sort of Alexa games that exist are very, very straightforward. Here is a question, take turns to answer it. Alexa will slightly misunderstand your answer <laughs> and then tell what you whether you're right or not. But yeah, something that seems really interesting about that is that it is, again, this sort of hybrid where you have a physical board that goes with it, right? So you're yeah. moving things around and also so talking to Alexa, the idea of being able to use a, like a talking computer as a moderator, as a storer of information and as a prompt and a timer and that kind of thing. It feels like there's really rich possibilities there. It'd be mm. great to see how the game itself Yeah, and out. again, whether the board is just kind of a, a gimmick to put in a box mm. and sell or whether it actually yeah. ties in quite nicely. Um, but I think I just love to use Alexa to roll trillions of dice at once. <laughs> I, I worked out that you can just ask Alexa to roll 1d6, then you can just essentially put the numbers up to anything you want, any-sided dice, any number of any-sided dice. Ooh, ooh. Uh, so I spent an afternoon doing that. Kind <laughs> <laughs> sad, uh, but kind of interesting. But I wonder, again, like whether we'll see... Like Alexa, you know, could she end up GMing in the future, like running role playing games or something like this, like building campaigns? Mm. Um, but yes. yeah. 
What else has been catching your eye? What else has been interesting you? Anything sort of weird out of the ordinary, not just in themes, but I guess gameplay? Anything that's kind of breaking the mold that you've spotted around? Um, one of the games that I quite like, and I'm not sure if well, it's not necessarily breaking gameplay, but I thought it was quite uh, refreshing in many sense. And it's the game that I played last year at Playtest UK called The Gig. And what I was actually really happy because now they find a publisher, the Braincrack Games, and they were there. And the game is not quite ready, but it has developed um, quite quite a bit since since the time I play tested it for the first time. And it is basically um, about creating a song with dice. But uh, every player is an instrument, so drums, keyboards, or piano, and they all are writing the song, so there's a certain placement of dice and certain points depending on what dice you're in charge of and where do you, how do you place it, and there's certain rules. But at the same time, you kind of also want to show off in front of the crowd and stand out within the group of the musicians, so you also have a solo part, which is a separate uh, kind of sheet where you also place the dice. So you you're working together but at the same time you're trying to show off so there's a little kind of very nice tug of war between completing the song that everyone's working on and also earning points for completing your solo which which is quite nice and i've also really never thought that you could make a dice game about creating music so that that was a really nice twist that i was like oh this is very interesting yeah I've seen a, a few things about it. One of the things that was really interesting me, I was talking to uh, you about this, Alex, yeah. is, is Bez's Blether, which isn't yeah. actually here, uh, mm. because Bez is releasing, I think, uh, Kitty Cataclysm this Next, year yeah. on Bez Day, which mm. is uh, the 1st of August. Um, but Blether, which she's been going for for ages, but has a t- I think she's going for the world's longest title or something like that. So she has this enormous banner that gets smaller and smaller and smaller font. It starts <laughs> with, I think the proper name starts with a game in which you Blether, which is the Scottish word meaning to talk at length yeah, and yeah. goes on for paragraphs and paragraphs um, but I played it a little while ago it's essentially it's just a minute from Radio 4 um, <laughs> but with with cards that have categories and the idea is you just you start talking and you turn over these topics and you have to basically name check them as they go by but they could be anything mm-hmm. um, so it could be potatoes and then the next one could be you know I don't even know like it goes all over the place cats or fish or, mm-hmm. um, but you just have to keep going and going and going and whoever earns the most cards um, at the end and it's very simple in that way that a lot of Bez's games are you know in a bind it's twisted but stood up it kind of works in this one sentence description um, but as a social game it was just really fun to see people riffing it's a good kind of instant improv game um, without the kind of pressure mm-hmm. um, because you just talk and talk and talk and it doesn't really matter if you're speaking absolute crap because everyone knows you're just scoring points and going through the motions um, but it seems like those games particularly I imagine with you Holly as well those kinds of like very social games mm-hmm. they just draw people in it's a bit more dynamic than people sat around a board and, and shifting pieces and trying to pick up massive amounts of rules at once if you can draw people in and go this is what it is look at all these pictures or look at how silly these people are or, or anything yeah, like that yeah I mean especially in a, a context like this when like you were saying if you, you don't want to accidentally get stuck playing for something for two hours that you don't really like so if you can get an idea of what it is and then get the rules into your head in 30 seconds or so and then decide whether you want to play or not then then that's kind of an 
easier way to engage people. Mm. Although that said, I've seen a load of stalls with these incredibly complex games and playtesting tables with these signs saying rules and understanding the rules takes 45 minutes. Playing the game takes three hours. And they've still been full of people and people having a really lovely time. So I guess people are seeking out the sort of games they're interested in. I suppose like you were saying, Alex, if you come to somewhere like this, you know, you know, if you're a certain type of person, you know you're going to pick up X-Wing or you might pick up the next ticket to ride or Mm. anything like that. So you just seek out these things. And if you can invest a few hours, maybe it will be a dud, but maybe it will be something that, you know, you could completely fall in love with. Especially when they're games that if you are going to buy them, £100, £140 or whatever, spending three hours to see if you like it enough to own. Yeah, that's true. For that amount of money, you better make sure that you want to play it once more at least. I did actually say, I don't know if either of you have heard of Crisis, uh, which is a game I think was kickstarted maybe 2014, came out about 2015, but never in the UK. Um, I think it might even be from the same publisher as uh, Mr. Cabbage Head's Garden. But it's this incredibly complex, it's basically a country in ruin. Uh, they were very, they alluded very heavily to uh, Greece. Uh, they were like, the designers are Greek and uh, the, there are these similarities to Greece, um, but it's essentially going through you know, financial trouble. And you are playing the entities coming in to buy off parts of the government. So you could invest in pharmaceutical companies, you can do all of this. But the board is like pretty substantial and there were just pieces everywhere. But it's this incredibly complex kind of thing where you're investing, you're also buying goods, you but you can then, as well as trying to bring the country back up to its knees, you can deliberately bankrupt it at points. Um, so to some degree you're all working together to keep the country afloat but if you feel that you're pulling ahead enough on victory points um, you can start to collude with at least one other player they said you can't just tank the game quite by yourself um, (laughs) but you could start to collude with one or two other players Mm. to basically force everyone else to bankrupt and you know find yourselves as the the only free companies left but to bring the game to an end very quickly I mean I think they were saying it can run for a couple of hours but it could they've had games in like 15 minutes because Mm -hmm. people have just like managed to convince others to join them and just basically screw everything up but come out on top Um, but I mean trying to demo that I kind of because the rules they were giving me a run through and it was like this is really fascinating but I still I don't it's worker placement but beyond that you know trying to pick it up and then play it uh, in a setting where it's very busy and a lot of people around is a pretty substantial yeah I mean I I guess I I like what some of the kind of bigger games especially like with miniatures where they've got campaigns and scenarios we're doing where they're just writing maybe free scenarios just to give people a taste in there specifically actually you know tailoring the experience to show off this part of the game and this part of the game and this part of the game then when you kind of play it yeah maybe you spend 40 hours of 40 hours oh gosh 40 minutes uh, play, playing this free type of scenarios and you kind of get a taster for the game and you know you get to see the miniatures which is of course you know one of the bigger appeals but then you kind of you know you walk away you kind of get the, ba- the basic of it and you haven't spent you know maybe maybe it's a shame because you haven't spent the whole involved campaign where you actually get like really caring about the outcome but at least you got a bit of a taster in it yeah and I think that actually kind of works maybe even better than sitting three hours and playing through the whole game Mm-hmm. But Holly, for you, obviously, Art Deck is, is on Kickstarter. You've spent, yeah, yeah. you know, months, years perfecting it. Is there a worry when you come to places like this and someone points out something and you go, oh, no, I like, oh, God, we never thought of that? Or, <laughs> you know, or you know, just something out of the blue like that? I mean, yeah. It's, it's 
always nerve-wracking when you watch people play a game you've designed, right? No matter how many times you've run it, there's always a bit of you that's like, what if they hate it? What if it breaks? What if there is a thing that goes horribly, horribly wrong? I think at this point it's unlikely that an entirely unexpected set of circumstances is going to come up. And like, oh my God, I never realised that if you put those three cards down at once, the, the pieces of paper spontaneously burst into flame. <laughs> <laughs> but certainly we've had um, a couple of people coming from a quite... Um, like traditionally strategic board game right. background who've who've played it and have had suggestions for us which would be great if we were making the kind of game right. that they they like. Where are all the meeples? Where are all the <laughs> just things about um, having having firmer win conditions, having right. a firmer aim. So Art Deck has a, a quite silly win condition. Over the course of the game, you play, sign your name cards, and claim different pieces of art as your own. And at the end, the best artwork wins. Usually, people vote amongst themselves or text a picture to friends. I really want someone to try to sell them all on eBay and see <laughs> which one goes for the most money. Because obviously the best art is most valuable, isn't it? Mm. Uh, just to be clear, I don't So people can choose their own way to do that. And we have, in fact, we started very, very loose with how you decide that. It's like, that's up to you. Figure out how you like, how you want to decide what the best art is. And people definitely wanted a little bit more guidance. So we've given them probably do this or you could do these other things if you wanted to, to figure it out. But there are definitely people who've played it and haven't wanted that sort of subjective part of it. That have wanted to suggest things like whoever claims the most pieces of art or manages to sneak their own secret design into the most pieces of art or something like that. And I can absolutely say that there would be a load of really great drawing games like that, but that's not the one that we want to make. Mm. Do you ever think of, because there are so many party games out there mm-hmm. now, so for instance, like Big Potato yeah, Made yeah. Scroll, which is essentially Telestrations, mm-hmm. um, but kind of ruder. But um, Telestrations is essentially paper well, telephone, yes, but more yeah, in a yeah. box, right? Yeah. Everything has lineages. But was there ever a temptation to sort of be like, okay, we need to we need to get sort of a more mainstream audience at all, especially because you're going to Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Like, we need to at least hint that, oh, you know, you'll be drawing dicks, but basically, or anything like that, or, you know, that it might be seen as like, oh, okay, people might think it's a little too serious, they can't have fun with it, even though they they obviously can. Uh, Well, we do have, like, we've got a couple of different expansions, and one of them is the arty one, which focuses on, I guess, the quality of the art, and the other is the party one, which focuses on the the fun and silly side of it, and partly that's as a way of allowing us to include some cards that we probably wouldn't put in the main deck, and some that aren't necessarily suitable for kids, for example. But also just as a hint that that is a way to play it. My favourite card at the moment is um, a a number three card that will come at the end of the instructions. So you might say draw circles in a corner and then the third card would be, but don't make it look rude. It just becomes almost impossible to draw anything without like, looking yeah. at it sidelong going, is this definitely not rude? Maybe this is. Oh, no. I know. It's even in the sea things. Uh, 
going back to Bez, uh, she has this tradition of putting cats on the board. So everyone yes. comes in and draw cat watching, which is so fantastic because you come in and there are all these different cats and all this silly like cat pants and cat ideas and even, you know, a cat is from space, which is joke as old as time, but I still laugh every time. <laughs> and I was sitting yesterday drawing a cat and using a black and a red marker and I, and I kind of did a, a little tongue sticking out as red and then I looked from the other side I was like, that may look disturbing. A tongue turns into a bow tie. <laughs> so yeah, there you go. You have to kind of like, everything in, in your mind sometimes is worse than it actually is. I was kind of blown away actually by Bez's wall of cats because some of them are really good. Mm. I mean, I think there's a, a almost perfect recreation of Simon's cat, the like online yes. cartoon, yeah, to yeah, the point yeah. where if the actual creator was there, I would have believed it. Uh, and then there was my kind of very poor effort. Having owned cats for decades, still can't draw a cat. I have no idea what they look like when they're not in front of me. Even yeah, though. I saw that and initially assumed it was some sort of very specific cat drawing game, which sounded... Oh, there's your next expansion. Yeah. <laughs> it must look like a cat. <laughs> Uh, what in terms of what's you know outside of the show is there anything in particular you're looking forward to obviously Holly you've got Art Deck coming up in, in the future and, yeah, and uh, yeah. do you have a release date for Art Deck yet beyond Kickstarter um, well the the shipping date is probably going to be sort of September okay. so We'll see. That's that's quite a yeah. short amount yeah, well, of time for a Kickstarter. I think yeah, I mean, the game that. itself is pretty thoroughly designed at this point. We don't think we'll make many changes following the Kickstarter, although obviously we do get to play more and see things, and there might be a few last-minute tweaks. But, yeah, I've talked to all of the printers and all of that sort of thing and mostly sorted that out in advance. Sophie, who's the other side of Mappers and Malco, has this. She comes from a design background and has a magical ability to talk to printers, which I am in awe. Of. I'll talk to someone on the phone and they'll be like, yes, we can do that in six months and it will cost you £200,000. <laughs> and Sophie calls them up, hangs up 30 seconds later and says, yeah, they can have it next week for 20 quid. <laughs> but it, it seems like, because we've seen recently the Evil Dead 2 Kickstarter mm. that seems to be in trouble um, for various reasons and people pointing all sorts of fingers and, and saying things. And that was from a, a comics publisher who had mm. quite a good track record. And, yeah, and they also yeah. were doing the Terminator game. But, you know, it seems, I mean, there were all there were always been troublesome kickstarters and sort of kickstarters that are delayed by months and years i mean it tends to be at this point you have to build in at least an extra six 12 months just to get your game mm -hmm. um, but sometimes it is getting harder but i don't know whether that's whether we're seeing more of that or whether there's just more kickstarters so we're just seeing more of them kind of fail and people not really realize like what an undertaking a kickstarter is because it's a bloody lot of work mm. yeah but I, I almost feel like Kickstarter is almost turning into you know this, these are all your new releases and most of them are in some way at least on Kickstarter whether they're doing second print whether they do first print whether they just do to go there to raise awareness where even though they have a publisher attached to it that you kind of almost don't lose look for new release for the big companies you just go to Kickstarter and show it out so yeah it's, it's, it's bizarre it's bizarre in that, that way interesting Thing. And, you know, I'm kind of even curious what sort of things like board game shops are are doing where when, you know, everything is in Kickstarter and they kind of have to, you know, think whether they pre-order for Kickstarter or mm. don't. Pre anyway, it's a whole, whole system. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit dangerous. I think we've talked uh, at length about, you, you know, kind of 
kickstarting things that we are almost kind of certain that have a track record because sometimes these things do happen. Companies take the money and just disappear or people who do kickstart they do it for the first time and they don't really realize that it's actually a full-time job to keep up, you know, with all the updates and do this properly and, you know, hire accountants and all that stuff. They just think, oh, we created this lovely game. Let's uh, see if anyone wants to play it. And then they're like, oh, now we have uh, lots of cash and we don't know really how to do it or how to produce the game. So, yeah. But there we go. The Kickstarter, the ups and downs. <laughs> Pretty much everything I've backed, I've got hold of eventually. It's, yeah. it's always turned up. And in a way, if, if you buy a Kickstarter, if you back a Kickstarter and you're not sure it will fulfill on time, but you think, you know, there's a chance that it will, and you're pretty sure they'll get around to it eventually. It's like buying future self a present. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll put £25 into this thing now, and then three years from now, future Holly, who'll have totally forgotten about it, will yeah. get a pass and go, oh my God, this thing, amazing. It is nice when that happened, I have to say. Yeah. The first thing I ever backed was a, a, a hoodie. And that seemed simple enough. It was just sort of someone essentially putting, you know, a logo on a hoodie. Mm-hmm. And it took five years to arrive. And when it arrived, it was 10 times too big. And I had to pay. <laughs> so I'd already paid, God knows how much, and then for shipping for the US, from the US. Mm-hmm. And then when it arrived, oh, I got the shipping notice. I was like, okay, great. I paid for that a while ago. I'm not sure if I'm that fast anymore. But, you know, it's it, it will come here. I paid for it at some point. Maybe it'll be great. And when it arrived, it got charged for uh, customs. So I had to pay another 10, 20 quid just to get it, by which point, I was not so happy Uh, Mm. but it's I mean yeah I've definitely backed I think more nowadays I back things that are that I wouldn't necessarily cover for the magazine that are Mm -hmm. these kind of weird smaller things Uh, because like you say the bigger things they'll come out eventually they'll find their way into shops and then yeah yeah. but in terms of looking ahead then other than of course (laughs) your own game Holly which I'm sure you're very excited about uh, but is there anything that's on your radar outside of the show or or at the show that you're looking forward to I'm so cheating because I listened to um, yesterday's episode and I agree I just really want Legacy of Betrayal and House on the Hill I'm so excited I know it's a very boring answer for everyone who listened to yesterday's episode but this is something that I'm you know betrayal got its faults but I, I love that game to bits and I think Legacy is going to be great uh, Holly, how about you? you know, I'm kind of looking forward to getting home and unpacking the slightly enigmatic bundle of stuff that I've <laughs> bought here, and yeah. I sort of had sort of 45 minutes to rush around, and it's on it's on the last day, so a lot of stuff's discounted. Like, oh yes, this weird like game from the 70s that I've never heard of that's three pounds. I'll, I'll take that. It seems to be themed around beekeeping. Why not? <laughs> oh look, there's a there's a, a, a Reiner Knizia game about tomatoes. I guess. Why not? It's four pounds. I'll take that. Mm-hmm. And so I've just got this this bundle of I don't even really know what, but things that seemed vaguely interesting and were cheap enough that that I just grabbed them and put them in a bag. In some ways, that's like its own surprise, yeah. though, because you get mm-hmm. back in kind of outside of the convention madness where your brains are puddled yeah. and where, the, where there's very little daylight yeah. and you've been terribly explaining you go, oh, rules to people. Yeah. Amazing. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? And I got hold of a couple of the oink games as well. Oh yes, yeah, yes. I picked up a few oink games. And, yeah. To try and fill out the collection. Yeah, mm. I haven't played um, startups yet. Oh yes, that, I think I'm James Wallace reviewed that, that recently. Oh, he was yeah, yeah. he was very positive on it. I have heard good um, things. But best of all, they come in very small boxes, that uh, is which yeah, is right, a, yeah. a benefit all the time. But particularly at conventions, mm-hmm. um, where you see people with suitcases. But, oh my goodness! Yeah, it's a lot. But anyway, yeah, yeah, I think that about wraps it up, and that wraps it up for the show and and these series of podcasts. Hopefully, we'll be back soon in the future. Uh, with another tabletop gaming podcast but thank you very much Alex Sydney yeah no thank you so much for having us and Holly Gromesio thank you very much thank you for having me 
Thanks for listening to the podcast. Don't forget that the past two episodes of the show are still available to download, featuring our roundups from UK Games Expo 2018. The latest issue of Tabletop Gaming is out now and can be found in your local supermarket, hobby store or newsagent. Don't forget to get your tickets to Tabletop Gaming Live, our convention for all things tabletop, taking place in London's Alexandra Palace this September 29th and 30th. Details can be found at tabletopgaming.co.uk. Thank you.